Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to the Motorcycle Men Podcast. This is episode 232, and we've got another wonderful interview episode for you today. But first, the Motorcycle Men Podcast is brought to you by Scorpion Helmets. For the last 15 years, Scorpion EXO has been dedicated to offering high-quality, innovative motorcycle helmets and technical apparel at an incredible value. Some of the world's best helmet and apparel designers spend countless hours developing and testing Scorpion AXO products to ensure that each and every Scorpion AXO helmet and garment will surpass user expectations. To learn more, you visit scorpionusa.com and Shinko Tires, of course. Whether if you're riding a sport bike, a scooter, off-road bike, dual sport, some cruiser, or even Harley-Davidson, Shinko Tires has a tire to suit your needs and riding style without breaking your bank account. So it's time for tires for your bike. Think Shinko. Go to ShinkoTireUSA.com and you tell them that the motorcycle men sent you. All right, now, I have interviewed quite a few world travelers on this podcast over the years, and each of them have their own very interesting story. They're all quite interesting and extremely captivating. However, my guest today is capturing quite an audience of her own with her very own captivating on-screen personality, that wonderful smile she has, and an adventurous spirit as she travels around the world on her Royal Enfield Himalayan. Yes, YouTube sensation Itchy Boots joins me here in the V-Twin Cafe to tell us all about her adventures. All right, joining me now all the way from, where are you? Salta, Argentina. Is Norderly, otherwise known as Itchy Boots. Norderly, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad you can make it, you know. I knew you'd been traveling around, so nailing this interview down was going to be a trick, but I'm glad we were able to connect. Um, so for those of the, those people out there who don't know who you are, why don't you tell us a little bit about your motorcycle self and what you do? That This is where you tell us about your channel and stuff. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, my name is Nora Lee, and I am from the Netherlands. And I quit my job, sold my house, and left the Netherlands about a year and a half ago. And I went to India, uh, traveled around for a little bit, traveled around in Bangladesh for a little bit, just backpacking, uh, before coming back to India and uh, renting a motorcycle. And uh, I love that so much that I thought, why not buy one here? And that was kind of somehow the start of a whole new, yeah, uh, life almost uh, and job because now, um, yeah, YouTube is also uh, providing me income or it's it's kind of supports my travels um, because I'm doing that full time now. So, yeah, that's wow. Now, so yeah. wait, so let me get this. So you you just up and quit your job and sold your house. Now what was what was your decision? What led to that decision to do that? Well, I've, I've always traveled a lot. So yeah. um, when I was 23, I traveled around the world for two and a half years backpacking. Wow. And the job, yeah, yeah. And the job that I had was also very 
international. So I was about eight months out of the year, I was sent all over the world for that job. So I've always traveled a lot and I loved it very much, but I really wanted to go back to full-time travel like I did when I was uh, younger. So that's why I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna go travel again and try to see if I can make money while traveling to mm -hmm. actually support this lifestyle and not just kind of blow through my savings. Right. Very Wow. Okay. So there you go. And you're you're living the dream every person wants to do: quit their job and just travel <laughs> around on their motorbike. Wow. Uh, wow. So so tell us about the channel, Itchy Boots. How did you come up with that name? Yeah. So um, my surname is uh, Schoenmaker, uh, which which means shoemaker. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking along when I was thinking of a name, I was thinking along of the lines of the expression to have itchy feet, mm -hmm. because I always, you know, wanderlust and I always want to move and travel. And so itchy boots is just a play on, on itchy feet, kind of incorporating uh, my surname. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's simple so, enough. Okay, I get it. All right. In contrary to to a lot of people's beliefs, my boots are not actually itchy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's well, that's a good thing. Seems like you're traveling as much as you are. That would be horrible to have itchy boots. Yeah. <laughs> so now, now that we know that how how you finance this trip, <laughs> which is great. So you're from the Netherlands, and. But you didn't actually start this whole thing. You started. You started by renting that motorbike in India. Was that your yes. first time on a motorbike? No, no. I've been riding motorcycles not very long, to be honest, for about three years. Mm -hmm. um, I had a Ducati Monster. Really? <laughs> yeah, so a completely different, uh, different game. Um, and I sold that bike as well when I left the Netherlands. And I wasn't planning on traveling by motorcycle at all. I was planning to just do backpacking. And I sort of came across a motorcycle rental shop by accident in India, and I saw it, and I thought, oh, that's actually, that'd be quite nice, just rent a, a motorcycle here and just ride around the Himalayans um, and do some exploring. So, and, well, in India, Royal Enfield is obviously sure. the biggest motorcycle um, uh, brand. Um, so they had these Himalayans there, and I thought, yeah, well, you know what, I'll just rent one. And I did that, and I took it around, yeah, through the mountains for about three weeks, and I covered 3,000 kilometers, and then I had to return the, the bike, and I was just so sad, because <laughs> I thought, oh, how I have to walk again with my backpack? <laughs> this is really not what I want. So then, quite quickly, I made a decision to just buy one, and uh, yeah, that's what I did. So then I went to Delhi and, uh, and bought one, a new one. Wow. All right. Jeez. <laughs> now, so you were pretty much hooked at that point then, right? Yeah, I mean, I just really loved the bike. A lot of people always ask me, why did I choose the bike? Uh, but at that time, it was kind of, it just came on my path. And after I rented it, I thought, I like this bike, so I want this bike. So I didn't, I didn't really research any other bikes or anything like that. I just thought, this is a bike that I like, so I'm going to buy one. And that's what I did. So you feel comfortable on that one. Now, what you have to explain the name Basanti. <laughs> you got to explain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was uh, that was the first bike that I bought in Delhi. I, I named this bike uh, Basanti, 
And that comes from uh, a very, very famous Bollywood movie called Shole. It's from the, I think it was from the, it's from the 70s. It's quite old. But everybody in India knows this name. And in this movie, there was a woman and she was like the heroine of the movie. And she was saving people with her horse uh, and her cart. And her name was Basanti. Ah, okay. And the horse's name was called Dano. So that's why my second bike, which I have now, I called that one Dano. So it's kind of, I'm still in the whole Bollywood theme. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. And that's good. Uh, How much planning did you put into this trip? Uh, Not very much. No? (laughs) No. Uh, Or well, I mean, so the first trip when I bought Basanti, I was kind of thinking, okay, what now I bought this bike, you know, what am I going to do? And I didn't really want to ride only in India because I've been to India uh, several times before and I already traveled all over the country. So I was like, I'm going to go to Malaysia. And that was kind of, you know, I was kind of looking at the map and I thought, okay, I could go either to Pakistan, but with an Indian registered motorcycle, that's kind of problem because India and Pakistan were a little bit uh, tense at the moment so I was like okay I'm not going to go into Pakistan with an Indian motorcycle I could go north but then I would go into Nepal and China which have some difficulties and so then kind of the most logical way for me was just to go east and then I thought I'll just go to Kuala Lumpur and that was kind of my goal at the time and I thought okay I go to Kuala Lumpur and then I don't know I'll just bring the bike back to India or something like that So the only preparation I did for that was I had to arrange a carnet de passage, which is Mm -hmm. a type of paperwork you need uh, for the bike to bring it across the borders and a visa for Myanmar. And that was all that I did. And then I just went. Wow. So you spent a lot of time on the Internet doing research before you took off, though, right? Oh, not really. Oh, I mean, only for the paper. Like, sure. I tried to find out the paperwork that I needed. Yeah. But, like, other than that, like, I didn't didn't do any route planning or anything really? like that. Yeah, yeah, nothing. <laughs> but was... I still do that, really. Like, I still don't even know where I'm going to go for the next ride. I do no zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, do you look at the maps, like, the day before and then decide, oh, okay, I'll go here. Is that how you plan your... Kind of. I mean, <laughs> really? Well, I guess that's kind of good. <laughs> I mean, I have a rough idea. So okay. I kind of have an idea of, okay, I'll go through these countries and I might spend one month in this country or something like that. But the exact route, I just determined like the evening before I go, just because you never know what's happening anyway. And yeah. it all depends on the weather. And in many places, there are roads that can be closed or there's political stuff going on, which you might want to go somewhere else. Like, for example, now um, I avoided Santiago, for example, because there were some protests going on. So then I thought, okay, I don't want to go in this region. So, okay, I'll just go back into Argentina. And so for me, that's kind of what works best anyway, to not not really plan too much because you never know what's going to happen anyway. Right. Now, do you use... Or have you used like Google Maps and maybe Street View to get an idea of what roads you'd be going on? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So yeah. And, and in a way, you kind of like blindly pick blindly pick the direction and just went, which is pretty adventurous, actually. 
Yeah, I, uh, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, the the point is, <laughs> the point is also. I mean, it is also a lot of work to, to do all of this planning. I mean, if oh, you sure. want to know exactly everything about the road conditions or exactly everything then yeah then you would need months and months of planning and i just don't really want to spend that time and it's also quite nice to have a surprise you know and you know to do- not really knowing what you're going to encounter that day yeah and yeah and sometimes i i realize it it would have been better if i'd known a bit more about <laughs> the conditions but yeah yeah no it's well, kind of it surprises like maybe cows and, and other animals on the road, right? <laughs> yeah, those you'll have anyway. That is uh, especially... Yeah, in India, the cows are a big problem. They just yeah walk or sleep in the middle of the street. And um, that's one of the reasons why I never ride in the, in the nighttime or in the dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you just can't see them, um, as well as potholes or anything like that. Right. That was the first day that I left from Delhi on this trip with Basanti. And I left early in the morning because I was just so super stoked to leave. And I was like, yay, let's go and let's leave early and leave Delhi without, you know, before traffic and everything. So it was still kind of dark when I left. And then I almost hit a cow, which was laying like right in the middle of the road. And I didn't see it until like the very last minute. And that was... Yeah, kind of the moment where I thought, okay, no riding in the dark or anything like that, because yeah, it is really, really tricky. Now, did that problem follow you all the way through uh, Asia as well? With the animals? Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess with the cows, it's not so bad. Like in India, they walk like in the cities. Yeah. And in most other countries, it's more like in the countryside, you know, then you have some cows walking around. Or, But yeah, I encountered a lot of different types of animals ranging from like, yeah, I had an elephant on the road in Thailand. And yeah, and then all sorts of livestock and and goats and yeah. An elephant? <laughs> an elephant. Yeah, yeah. yeah, an elephant, yeah. <laughs> I guess that was a little bit of a surprise, huh? Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, it was really amazing. Well, you yeah. did go to a, uh, I guess it was a state park or something like that, or a national park that had elephants. Yeah, or... there I didn't see one. I only saw poop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but at that time, I was extremely excited about seeing elephant poop because that for me was already really cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah, then later I actually saw one uh, on the road. So that was, uh, yeah. Did that pose a problem? Like, cow poop and elephant poop on the road did that pose a problem for you <laughs> no no that was fine that was, oh, it was fine. <laughs> okay um th- your route is, is kind of interesting because you uh, is that you shipped your bike to oman eventually yeah after you got to kuala lumpur uh yeah tell us about that how how was that go for you yeah, so when I reached my first kind of goal, uh, Kuala Lumpur, I was already a little bit before, actually, like a few weeks before, I started to realize I'm almost there. And I thought, but I don't want to stop. Like, this, I, I don't want this trip to end. So I started kind of thinking, okay, what can I do? Because in that part of the world, you, I could have continued towards um, Indonesia, mm-hmm. uh, but there's all these islands and then you have to 
I did hop all the time with your motorcycle, so I was a bit inconvenient. And then eventually, yeah, you end up, you have to go to Australia, for example, and that wasn't really the, the area I wanted to go. So I thought, what is another option? And I heard some people talk about Oman, that it was really amazing. So I thought, yeah, let's go to Oman. And that was kind of how I made that decision. And later it turned out that when I put my motorcycle on an airplane from Kuala Lumpur to Muscat in Oman, it turned out that I was the first person ever to temporarily import a motorcycle through the airport in Muscat. So the custom system didn't have an entry for a motorcycle. So I could I could have imported camels and horses and all sorts of things, but not a motorcycle because it never been done before. So at customs, they were like, well, yeah, uh, we can't enter it into computer because motorcycle doesn't exist. So, wow. sorry. Computer says no. So <laughs> that was, uh, yeah. But um, obviously they eventually let you go. Yeah, eventually um, it turned out that the bike was also delayed and there were all sorts of problems. So I was waiting in Muscat for, I think, two weeks before my bike finally arrived. And the hotel that I was staying, the, um, the owner of the hotel turned out to be some high-placed ranking Omani who was previously the kind of the boss of the entire airport. So mm -hmm. when I told him the story, he was like, I'll come with you. And then, yeah, it was solved very quickly. Uh, now you, you're, you're traveling through Asia and of course from India to Asia, and now you're heading over to, uh, basically the Middle East. You're, you're, you're going through a lot of language differences and there was also, uh, money you had to be concerned with. How did you manage all that? Um, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, language in, like in Asia, you can get along with English quite well. Okay. Um, and yeah, that disappeared uh, in Oman, it was still okay, but yeah, like in Central Asia, English just wasn't wasn't really spoken, and it was either yeah in Iran Farsi, or in all the stands it was Russian. You could kind of communicate with, which I don't really speak, but apparently enough to kind of get around. Yeah, in in, in my opinion, you don't really need to really speak a language to be able to travel in a country right. and I mean all you need to, to know is you know you need to find food and you need to find accommodation and petrol and those are basically the things that you need and yeah kind of with like sign language you you always get there so yeah. how much <laughs> Great, whatever, yeah. how much did you use Google Translate uh, almost never really okay. yeah Great. yeah I don't like it yeah because you know if if you make an effort to try and communicate with, with local people, usually they really appreciate it. Yeah. And if you just whip out your phone and then, I don't know, it kind of ruins the moment where you really try to have a connection with a person and yeah. try to communicate with somebody. So for me, and, and besides Google Translate uh, into like some kind of more, the more obscure languages, like, I don't know what they speak in Turkmenistan, for example, I don't really trust Google Translate to say it correctly right so and then you know maybe it translated wrong and you you know you are in trouble or something like that so <laughs> yeah i always prefer to just try you know to get my message across without using any google translate that's good yeah let's talk about uh, your accommodations from place to place how did you arrange that since how you didn't do any planning 
Yeah. <laughs> How did so you? I, yeah, just rock up there. <laughs> really? Yeah, most of the time, yeah. There's been like sometimes I would make a reservation mm -hmm. on like, I mean, in the stands you can't really, that's all like homestays. So like in, in Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, there were, weren't really many options to make reservations up front. Um, but in some countries you can use booking.com for example, yeah. but also there, I don't like to make a reservation because I might not make it there. Right. I might halfway, yeah. oh, you know, I'm tired. I want to stop now. Or, you know, the more reservations or you do in advance, the more, you know, calling you have to do, because if then, if you don't make it to one destination, then you have to call, I don't know, three other places right. to say, oh, I'm late or whatever. So yeah, I just if I'm not in the extreme high season that, you know, you know, okay, there's going to be a room anyway, then I don't make any reservations. Like in some areas, if you are right in the, in the high season and you know, okay, it's going to be fully booked everywhere. Yeah. Then sometimes I, I make reservations. Otherwise you just searched for a hotel and just pulled up to it and asked for a room. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I have some resources that I use uh, to find these places. Okay. So um, I use an app called iOverlander, which is kind of, for me, like the Bible for anyone who's overlanding with a vehicle. Um, and it tells you where are the petrol stations, accommodation, nice things to see. Oh, good. That kind of and it's all added by other travelers, and they also write reviews about it and that sort of thing. Um, and I use Maps.me, which works offline. I also use that a lot to find accommodation. And then my my kind of trick is that I usually pick the accommodation which is rated the lowest because that's usually the cheapest. <laughs> <laughs> and because, then you really don't know what you get. <laughs> yeah, you really don't know what you get. But that's also the thing. Like I don't want to spend all this time researching every single place. You know, mostly I'm like, I'm going to stay there one night. Yeah. I don't want to spend an hour researching online what would be the best place to stay in that town. I really don't care so much. So I think it's just a waste of time <laughs> <laughs> to research all of that. So I just kind of find like the cheapest or kind of like low budget place and then it's fine for me. So All right. Well, tell us about some of the places you stayed because they're pretty interesting from what I saw. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I, I did manage to find some really, really dodgy places where you don't really want to touch anything. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of, yeah. But usually those were the ones that uh, I stayed just because there really wasn't any other option. Right. I mean, I obviously I do like a room which is, you know, clean or something like that. But, um, yeah. There you, did were a stay in a, you did stay in a treehouse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, that was in India. Yeah, that was a nice one. Yeah, somebody recommended that to me. So that also sometimes happens, you know, that yeah. on the way I meet other travelers, for example, and they say like, oh, this is a really nice place to, to stay. And then I also go there. So that's how I found uh, the treehouse. Yeah. You stayed in a lot of hostels as well. How did that work out for you? Yeah, I mean, hostels are pretty cool because it's easy to meet other people. Yeah. That's why I usually stay there. I don't. I don't do dorms anymore. I feel like I'm too old for that now. <laughs> <laughs> and I've done that. Like when I, you know, what I said before, that when I was 23 and I did a long trip, 
then I always stayed in dorms with like 10 beds, 15 beds. And right. uh, that, then it was fine. But nowadays I, I don't want to do that anymore. I just want a private room. Uh, but usually hostels also have private rooms and they're still cheaper than, than hotels. So that's kind of, yeah, usually wow. works out well. So how about the money thing? You had to do a lot of money exchanging along at the borders, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In I was a bit worried about the ATM situation in the stands, so in Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan. Um, so when I before I went to that area, I came from Dubai. Yeah, from Dubai I went to Iran and then through all these uh, stands, how mm-hmm. how we call them. And so in Dubai, I got loads of U.S. dollars um, to be able to exchange because I wasn't sure if I would be able to go to an ATM and, and extract money. Right. Like for example, in Iran, I couldn't go to the ATM, for example, so I needed to have cash. And I think, yeah, there are a handful of ATM, working ATMs, I think, in Uzbekistan and Tajikistan, but I prefer to uh, just do cash and yeah, what what you said at the borders, there were almost always there were money changers, and you could just exchange the money or yeah, that always worked out pretty well. That must have gotten con- <laughs> so we, <laughs> it had to get confusing after a while. But you now you come to the new place and you're exchanging money, but now you have all these small de- denominations of money you have to exchange over. And was it always equal, or did one worth more than the other? Yeah, no, it's it's always a different rate, right? So, uh, uh, but usually I would just look, I would look it up in advance, kind of what was the exchange rate, so then you know that you're not being like extremely cheated by the money changers. Uh, I, I think you have to accept that you always lose money if you change. That is, that's a given, course, right? Yeah, so right. every time you exchange money, you lose some uh, because of the exchange rate. But um, as long as I wasn't like completely ripped off, like entirely, then you know it was it was pretty okay. And nobody actually tried to rip me off. I always got pretty, pretty decent rates. So um, well, good. Well, how are the people up to this point going through Asia and into Oman? How was their interaction with the cultures? Um, I mean, I guess on a, if you're traveling on a motorcycle by yourself, and then as a woman, you kind of people are really surprised right. to see that. And to be honest, it doesn't really matter where I am. In every country I go, people kind of react the same. And they're like, oh, are you alone? And that's also one of the first questions that everybody asks me is, are you alone? And you know, I, I often get people telling me that uh, I should lie and I should say like, no, my boyfriend or my husband or my group of friends is just behind me. Because they feel that if somebody asks me if I'm alone, that they ask this to, I don't know, cause me any harm, you know? Right. Yeah. But it's just a normal question because everybody seems to be surprised because right. apparently, well, I guess there aren't many uh, women traveling alone on motorcycles or re- relatively little women traveling on motorcycles. So it's just kind of, for me, it's a natural question that everybody just asks me, like, oh, are you alone? Yes. Oh, wow, wow, wow. And, um, yeah, I mean, in some countries, um, in most countries, they really love it. Like, like for example, in Iran, again, uh, local women there are not allowed to ride motorcycles, Iranian women. Uh, but foreign women are. So when I was there, everybody was like, 
amazing, amazing, wow, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you yeah. go. And I thought it was really, really cool. Um, and that's that's kind of been the reaction that I get mostly. And for me, I think it's amazing because, um, yeah, in most places, getting in contact with locals is easier if you're by yourself because people feel like, oh, they can just come up and talk to you. Whereas sure. if you're in a group, I think locals are less likely to uh, to come up to you. Right. Uh, but it is a bit different now that I am in Argentina and Chile. It's a bit different because... Uh, I guess here I don't stand out as much. Like here, the locals don't really come up to me to have a chat. You know, you're just another person on a motorcycle. Right. Whereas in Central Asia, it it was much more rare, I guess, or strange. And a lot more people would come up to me to uh, to talk to me. So that's kind of a difference that I that I see now. Did you meet other yeah. uh, motorcycle riders uh, along the way? Oh yeah, yeah, plenty. Yeah. 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 yeah, there's a lot of people doing this. I'm really not the only one. <laughs> you know, okay, I think the uh, the cons- I, I think many people think that there are not a lot of people doing this. Uh, I think that's the perception. Everybody thinks that you know, once in a while, someone like you comes along and just rides around the world, and they report about it, and they go, "Okay, yay," and that's it. But you know, you're telling me that apparently a lot of people are doing this. But yeah, you know. It's just, how would you say that? It's just your, um, I mean, from my from my perspective, there are a lot of people doing it because I know I am kind of like on this route and you and you meet them. So you're in this little world and then you have the feeling that everybody is doing this. And that is, of course, also not really the case either. Right. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Did you meet any other women riders? Um... Yes, I did. I'm now thinking, but not alone. Wait, let me think now. I don't think... I mean, I've met some women that are riding together with their boyfriends or husbands right. or in groups. But women alone, I... Yeah, one. One. one, I one? <laughs> yeah. And she was riding the same motorcycle as me. Oh, and, really? There uh, you go. Yeah. Yeah, we met in Turkey. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's good. The, so how's, yeah. the, how's the bike been performing up to that point through uh, Central Asia? How was the bike performing for you? Yeah, it was good. Yeah? It was good. And that wa- that's why when I reached the Netherlands with this bike, I wanted to continue with it and do this next trip uh, from Patagonia to Alaska. Right. I wanted to do that with the same with Basanti because well, she was doing really, really well. So I was like, yeah, why not? Why Let's not? just continue. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's why I tried to get this bike on a Dutch license plate and all of that. And unfortunately, that didn't work out. So I didn't have really another option. But if if not, if I wouldn't have been managed to do that, then I would have just gone with the same bike. Right. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, up to that point through uh, Asia and through you know the Middle East and Russia, and all that, how many miles did you do up to that point when you returned back to the Netherlands? I don't. I am really bad with miles. I know kilometers. Oh, okay, kilometers is fine. That's fine. Because I can yeah, do. I can I, do the math. Okay. Yeah, that was uh, thirty-six thousand kilometers. Thirty-six thousand. Okay. Yeah. So for those stupid Americans, twenty-two thousand five hundred miles. Wow, that's very yeah. impressive. And the bike was perfect throughout the whole time, right? 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I burned my clutch blades halfway Good through. Good job. But it, yeah, yeah, you know, you have to do that once, right? To yeah, know yeah, how sure. it felt like. <laughs> how many tires did you go through? Oh, uh, wait, oh, that's a good question. Uh, let me think now. Two, uh, three sets. Really? Wow. But the third one, yeah, the third set was quite new. So, um, like two full sets and then like a little bit. Was, yeah. it, was there a lot of opportunity to have maintenance and work like that done along the way? Um, yeah, it was not bad, to be honest. Um, especially in Southeast Asia. Uh, there was Roy Enfield pretty much present in every country. Right. Uh, in Central Asia, it, I knew up front there's not going to be any support and there's not going to be anything. And I was so worried about not finding tires, for example, that I dragged a whole set of tires with me for 11,000 kilometers, which is something that I would ne never do again. <laughs> 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 because yeah it was just a hassle and it was super heavy of course yeah um but i mean at the time i didn't know right and i was just like yeah but what if i don't find tires and i'm stuck somewhere and i have to wait for weeks to get some tires here so i thought i'll just bring them with me so i mean at the time i think it was the right decision um now now i would maybe do it do it a bit different i mean now i, I don't want to drag tires with me anymore no. <laughs> now you you did your own maintenance on the bike mostly right uh well little maintenance well, <laughs> little bit. I mean, now maybe you make it sound like i'm really good with mechanics and I, i'm really not i mean i i do the small things you know like um I take care of the air filter and the chain and, you know, that, that sort of thing. But I'm really not very good with mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> so you need I mean, to find I, that shop I, to do it for you, I, right? <laughs> so you needed to find that shop to do it for you, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wish I could do it, but I, I'm just not very talented. So I, I guess you have to recognize what you're good at and what you're not. And well, it looked like in one of your videos you made an attempt at changing your tires out in uh, South America somewhere. Oh, no, that was because I had a flat. Yeah. Um, I have tube. Yeah, okay, yeah, that I can do. Yeah, so I have uh, tubed tires. Right. Uh, on the first day leaving Buenos Aires, I had a nail in my rear tire. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a bit of a bad luck. Um, but, yeah, no, I can change that. I can do that as well. Now, was, yeah. that, was that difficult for you? Was that, was that your first time doing that? It was, uh, yeah, it was the first time that I, that I had to do it. Um, so it took me a long time. It took me like two and a half hours yeah. um, by myself. And, uh, but, you know, I did it. And, you know, that's, you know, when you've done it then once in the field, you know, without any help, then, you know, okay, next time it will take me maybe an hour and a half, you know, and maybe yeah. eventually I can do it within the hour if it's necessary. But um, I've done it once and then I vowed I would never do it again because <laughs> <laughs> it was so it was difficult. And I was like, yeah, I, I'm glad I did it and I learned how to do it. But yeah, I, I would imagine maybe the type of tires that you're using are a little different than what I use. Maybe yeah. they're more pliable. I don't know. But I, I now if I get new tires, I just bring the tire to the dealer and I go fix this. <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah. I think with a lot of motorcycle rims and tires, breaking the beat is really difficult. Yes, it is. Yeah. 
But with my bike, that is not. You don't even have to do that. Really? Yeah. I wonder if, I, it's, I, I wonder if it's the tire. I don't. I don't understand. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the tire or the rim. Uh, but in any case, that is just not an issue at all. So you can just immediately like pop it open. So I guess that is okay. A bit easier. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll never do it again. That's for sure. <laughs> so now you get back to the Netherlands and you want to do this trip with Basanti, but there's a problem. Yeah. Can I tell us about that? Yeah. So. When I bought Basanti in India, um, as a tourist, you can't actually register this vehicle on your own name, right? You can only do that if you're a resident in a country. Okay. So um, I had somebody else buy this bike, registered on his name, and then I gave him the money and um, we made like an affidavit stating that I was the actual owner. But it was registered on his name, right? So I crossed 25 borders or countries in cycle, which was not registered on my name at all. And uh, I managed, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I did manage, but every single time I was so extremely nervous for every border crossing because I was always afraid they would say like, wait, what? did you steal this motorcycle or you're not the owner? We will not let you pass. Right. So when I reached the Netherlands, I was already thinking, I don't really want to continue this way. And what I've heard is that in Central America and especially Mexico, they will really, really not let you pass with a vehicle, which is not registered on your name. Right. Okay. I thought, uh, I really have to figure this out. So I thought, okay, let's try to get it on my name. So then I'll try to have it, get it on Dutch, plates on my but that was just not possible there are apparently a lot of european laws and rules and regulations and because basanti was made for the indian market it had slightly different specs and well anyway long story short i didn't it was was impossible to have her on dutch license plates and to register on my name okay so i was kind of yeah sitting there thinking what to do now and yeah. was that then, was that sad for you yeah it was yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was yeah i i was thinking i just really wanted to continue with this motorcycle yeah and then when you then realize that you can't because of, because of some re- regulations it was really a bit of a bummer um but i didn't really have much time to be bummed about it because then really quickly um, the importer of Roy Enfield in the Netherlands. Um, I was talking to them about this, you know, because they were trying to help me out with this paperwork to try to get it on a Dutch license plate. And then when that wasn't when that was impossible, uh, they said, you know what, we'll, we'll make you a deal. Um, you give Vasanti to us, and we will put her on display, you know, or on like motor fairs or something like that. And then you get a new one, new Him- Himalayan, but then on your name registered. Wow, what a deal that was, huh? Yeah, so then I was like, okay, so I kind of lose Basanti, but then I can continue with my trip. And so, yeah, I, I obviously took the deal because it was the best option for me because the fact was also 
because I couldn't put Passanti on Dutch license plate, I also wasn't allowed to ride her in the Netherlands anymore. I could only ride her in the Netherlands for two weeks, and that really? was it. So oh. she was going to be a museum piece anyway, and I wouldn't be able to ride her anymore. So right. then I thought, well, then she might as well be on this play uh, so that other people can, I don't know, also have a look <laughs> at sure. her. And I can continue the trip that I want to make. So that's kind of how that that's all went. And uh, yeah. Now, did they did Royal Enfield take Basanti with the with the hard cases as well? Yeah, yeah, completely intact with all the still all the dirt on it and the dead flies and uh, <laughs> all the accessories. I only took off the my uh, Garmin navigation system. Right. Because that wasn't wasn't necessary anymore but other than that she remains uh, completely intact yeah <laughs> all right it's time to take a little break and we want to talk about your safety while you're riding everyone knows that when you're on your bike you want to dress for the slide and not the ride because accidents happen and road rash sucks but with the help of Tobacco Motorwear, we can make road rash a thing of the past. That's why I love the gear from our sponsors over at Tobacco Motorwear. Tobacco is known for making the best-looking riding jeans in the world. That's because they start with premium fabrics like selvage denim and canvas, and then they add the protective elements like comfortable anti-abrasion linings or armor. Other brands, well, they make you look like a stormtrooper or like you're wearing some pair of saggy dad jeans from your local store. Well, tobaccos are so stylish that you're going to want to wear them every time you're on your bike and even when you're not riding a bike. They have multiple fits and styles of protective jeans for men and women so that you can find something that matches your style. They also make jackets, vests, and riding shirts. And you've heard me say it before, I love my California riding shirt and my tobacco riding jeans. And I wear them on every ride. I just won't ride without them. Not only that, nearly every time I wear them, somebody is asking me about them and where I got them. Tobacco believes that the safest gear is the gear that you will actually wear. And that's why they make products that look good and protect you while you're riding. And tobaccos are made to last, and they're made right here in the USA. So no need to sacrifice style for safety or vice versa. Go check out TobaccoMotorWear.com. That's TobaccoMotorWear.com. And our listeners will get 10% off your order when you use that coupon code MOTOMEN when you're ordering sodas. Your safety is worth it. Get out there and order some tobaccos. All right, let's get back to that interview with Itchy Boots. Wow. Now, for most of that trip, you were using your phone for navigating. Yeah. How did that work out for you? Yeah, so in the beginning, I used my phone. Um, and then I didn't really like that so much because I couldn't really use it in rain or heavy rain. Right. Um, and my battery died all the time. And I was thinking, well, if my if my battery dies, I have absolutely no clue where I am. So I didn't really like that feeling. So I wanted to have another like two ways of navigation. So then I got this uh, Garmin um, navigation system, which works in the rain and, and everything and offline. And it's always charged so I like to but I still have my phone and my navigation system so I always have two methods of navigation on my <laughs> handlebar <laughs> so yeah so I can always look at both and yeah sometimes the one sends me this way and the other one sends me the other way so then 
I just stop and have a look and yeah, it works better for me. Oh, good. So now you've got the uh, Dano and yeah. you're getting it all. Did, was it, did it feel any different from Basanti? Uh, a little bit because uh, the sound was different because I, in India, I put this um, market, this exhaust on Basanti, <laughs> like a really, really loud pipe. <laughs> Why? Because I like good sound. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I came from a Ducati monster with like double yeah, crap of exhaust. So I really wanted to have a loud bike. Um, and so that's why I did that. Uh, but then with the no, I kind of, I mean, I felt really guilty riding a really loud bike through nature areas. Um, so that's why I decided this time to not do that anymore because right. I love riding in nature. And yeah, it makes me just feel really bad if I'm just like blasting through this area <laughs> and like all the animals are scared and yeah, so I, I didn't do that anymore. But that, that the sound was one, like a major thing which made, made it feel like, okay, this is a different bike. Wow. Um, but other than that, yeah, it was, yeah, felt completely the same. Well, you yeah. did get stopped once to have your sound levels checked. Where was that? That was in Thailand? Yeah, that was in Thailand. Yeah, yeah, that was for that national park with where the elephants were. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I still don't understand why they let me pass because I thought, well, if I am not failing this test, like who is? You know, like it, it can, can hardly get any louder than this, but they still let me pass. So it was kind of a surprise. So now with Dano, you decided to go with uh, soft panniers instead of the hard cases. Are you? Is that a? Are you, are you happy with that decision? Yeah, I'm really happy with it. Yeah. I mean, um, when I reached the Netherlands with Basanti and, you know, I got the chance to gear out a new bike from scratch again. So yeah. I, for me, that was a great opportunity because now, like, I already had all my lessons that I learned with Basanti and I thought, okay, so I can use the things that I that worked and that I liked, I can use them again. And yeah. other things, I can, I can make changes. And what I didn't like about how I set up Basanti is that I was just way, way too heavy. Yeah. That is just a hassle. When you're on road, it's fine. But as soon as you go off road or in gravel or sand or whatever, the heavier you are, it's just awful. So I thought I really have to make a proper change to ride lighter. Um, so I thought, okay, I go for these reckless uh, bags because the rack alone already weighs like five kilograms or something like that. Right. So you you save so much weight on the rack and then of course on the panniers. So for me that's been a massive difference. So now when I ride on like unpaved roads, I hardly feel I don't really feel like I'm super heavily loaded. And that's right. the main the main difference. It makes riding so much easier. Of course and balance is a lot easier too. Exactly, yeah. 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 Now, also the good thing about this is, is when you arrive at your destination, you can bring those bags in with you. You don't yeah. have to leave your gear inside. Was that a hassle? You had to empty your panniers every day or were they lockable? Uh, they were lockable. Um, but, I mean, I guess that the setup which I had with Basanti is that what I had in my panniers mostly stayed there. So they were mostly like just spare parts, tools right. or things that I didn't need on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And then I had, I had a separate soft bag on my pillion seat. And that one I took in and out with me every day. So in that sense, uh, it didn't change so much. Um, but for example, if I drop the bike, now it's a lot easier. I just take the bags off, mm -hmm. 
and the bike's light and I pick her up. Whereas with the panniers, then I would have to like get all my stuff out of the panniers because they were not so easily packed. So that's, yeah. But you, did, you didn't drop the bike that often. Uh... <laughs> I only saw two times where you dropped the bike. Did you drop it more than that? I yeah, I dropped it a few more times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not always recording, you know. Yeah. And I also don't always feel like recording every single thing, yeah. you know. So yeah, but there's been a few more bike drops, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Or like, <laughs> you know, these stupid drops that it's parked. I mean, I had that. I had that more often with Basanti, to be honest. That because the side standard of this motorcycle is really straight, um, yeah. the bike is is standing too straight. So then it really easily tips over if it's kind of you know a little bit on a slope or if it's a bit windy, for example. That yeah. happened many times. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been easier to just use the center stand? Sorry. Wouldn't it have been easier to just use the center stand? Ah yes, um, but to put the bike on center stand when you have all the luggage on it. Yeah. That's not so easy because the center yeah. stand uh, on this bike, it's really high. So you really have to lift up. I can do it, but not with all the luggage on it. Oh, then it's, I see. it's too heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so now here you are on your way to Argentina. Was that, first of all, that's a super long trip you yeah. know, from, from the Netherlands down to uh, Buenos Aires. Then uh, you had to, get, of course, get the bike. You know, you, the bike went on the plane, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. So was that a was that a, a difficult process to get all that taken care of? No, it was actually. Oh, this time it was super easy because, okay. yeah, because I had a good company. So that's the difference. When I shipped the bike from uh, Kuala Lumpur to Oman, it also went on the plane. But I had a shipping agent which had never done it before, right. so that took forever and it was, it was quite difficult. But now this time I went to the UK. So I first went from the Netherlands. I took the boat to the UK, to London. And there I dropped it at a company called James Cargo. And they are specialists in this type of thing. So mm -hmm. then in a matter of, okay, drop the bike. Cheers, bye. And I think two days later, I got a message. It's on the plane. You got to go to Buenos Aires now. So it was a matter of a few days and it was in Buenos Aires. So that was, that went really smooth. So Wait, so wait a minute, wait a minute. Were you on the same plane that the bike was? No, no. Okay. So you no, arrived no, first or the, or the bike arrived first? Yeah, so the, the bike went on a cargo plane. Okay. Um, and when they told me which, which flight it would be on, I quickly booked my own flight and I arrived like half hour before the bike. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, I did hire uh, a local agent over there in Buenos Aires. Uh, because it's really difficult, the whole custom process, and you have to do so many steps, which you don't know how to right. do them. So I hired this agent, and they helped me, and then, yeah, I arrived in the morning, and in the afternoon, I was riding out of the airport. So that was really, really great. Wow. So you, But you've been to Argentina before, right? Yes. Yeah. So you're pretty familiar with the whole country a little bit. Yeah, so. I, I I traveled there before, um, and I worked there. I worked in Buenos Aires for some time as well. So uh, I was, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Argentina. I just really, really love Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> but did that le alleviate some of your maybe anxiety to do this part of the trip on a motorcycle? Did that help? Maybe. I didn't really have anxiety. Oh, I good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
did you have any? Were you anxious at all about to, to get moving once you got there? No, no, oh. I was really looking forward to oh, just okay. All right, get going. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I had to, I had to commend you though on your on your good timing and planning. Well, I should say planning because you really didn't. Uh, with with regard to the seasons. Uh, how right. you went through Asia and all that during the summer months, and now you're down in South America during the summer months. Uh, yeah. So you some some thought did go into that, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, that is something that I do. You know, the same like I wouldn't want to arrive in Alaska in the middle of winter, right? That would that would be, be very bad. Yeah. Would be bad. Yeah, exactly. So there's like some a few things that I try to take into account, but to be really honest, my planning could have been better. Because no. is uh, the, the problem kind of is that I am right now it is rainy season in Bolivia, um, and I'm so I'm too early basically. I'm one month or two months too fast. So it would have been better if I would have left the Netherlands on this trip like one or two months later, which I kind of already knew at, at the time, but I was just so eager to go. <laughs> <laughs> I want to sit around, wait here for one month, you know, I'll just go. Uh, so I did. And the, the advantage of that was that I was in Patagonia in the shoulder season still. So just before like the mid of summer. So it was still kind of quiet. And um, the wind tends to be apparently a little bit less in the spring than in the middle of the summer. Uh, so that was a good thing. But now, uh, yeah, it's catching up with me. And now I'm basically, I will be in Bolivia in the rainy season. Which so, is bad. <laughs> is, well, now that you're taking this little break of yours, yeah, did, yeah. Well, does that help that at all? Because now, are you? Is the rainy season going to be done by the time you get going? Um, well, you're correct that the the break that I'm taking now that is also because of this. You know, I yeah. thought if I want to take a break, then this is a really good moment because I can wait out the rainy season a little bit like this. Um, I think December and January are the worst when it comes to rain. And then February is still considered rainy season, but it's already a little bit better. So, yeah, definitely like spending a few weeks here in Salta definitely helps with escaping the rainy season a little bit. But I won't be able to escape it completely, I'm afraid. Mm, maybe <laughs> you need to meander just a little bit more. before you get to that area and it'll be gone but how has the weather been treating you so far on this trip not just in in south america but also in asia yeah i mean i i think i've been pretty lucky like i haven't had extreme weather conditions or anything like that i mean i had like uh, a few you know thunderstorms here and there but overall it's been i guess it's pretty been pretty okay but what I also do is that, you know, I, I'm not really in a rush to get anywhere and I also don't have a fixed right. So that's the thing. If it's really bad weather, I stay an extra day, right? I mean, I don't, I don't have to ride through horrible weather just because I have to make it to the next destination in time for whatever. Right. So, yeah, if it's bad weather, then why would I want to ride in that, right? So then I'll just wait in a, an extra day or two or, yeah. <laughs> so, do you, are you finding South America to be easier or a little tougher than the other areas you've been in? Um, 
Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, in some ways, it's a lot easier for me here because my Spanish is a lot better than my Russian or well, all of the other languages. So co communication is easier for me. Okay. And, um, but I, I don't know, road-wise, I am really struggling sometimes, probably because I just pick more difficult roads as well. Like looking back... Um, with Basanti, I did a lot less uh, off-road or unpaved compared to what I'm doing now. Like I'm doing so much uh, unpaved riding, off-road riding. Now that is, it is quite a bit tougher in that sense, I guess. Um, but that also has to do with the fact that I just became better at it as well. I mean, I had no experience with this type of riding when I started the trip, right? So I learned it as I went. So if I look back now, how I was riding in Tajikistan, <laughs> I was <laughs> crawling with like 20 kilometers an hour over a gravel road because, uh, yeah, I just, I wasn't experienced enough to go faster or I thought it was, yeah. And now I, I can really see that my riding has become better. So mm -hmm. I can also take these more challenging roads, but right. uh, that doesn't really make them super easy still. No, I did <laughs> notice that some of the, I'll, I'll use the word roads <laughs> that you were yeah. on in Asia were more like single track paths. Uh, is, is that, was that common for you? Uh, what do you mean for me or? Well, I mean, cause it seemed, it seemed like every, every, not every video, but many of the videos I was watching, it, you would be on a road and then a road would narrow and get narrower. And eventually it's just a small path. Was yeah. that, did you run, come across that a lot? Um, yeah, yeah, I did. I did do quite some of that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there were, sometimes it was because I chose to do this road. You know that I what I do a lot is I look on maps me and I just pick the smallest looking road and then okay. I think that looks interesting. Let's go there. Yeah. Um, but in some cases, it was literally the main road. So in in yeah, in, in parts of Tajikistan, that was the main road. So it it. I wasn't even, I wasn't looking for like an extra adventure. That was just the road you had to take. <laughs> Everybody had to take, you know? So, yeah, in that sense, those were probably some of like the most, yeah, um, like the worst roads, I guess. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think it was in, uh, I, cannot, I can't recall if it was in Thailand or, I can't remember what it was, but a Google Maps sent you onto a beach. All right. Uh, <laughs> And uh, you you had to take a ferry or something like that to get to the other side of the lake. You want to yeah. tell us a little bit about that? That was very interesting. Yeah, that was in, that was in India. Um, okay. So that was uh, quite at the beginning of my trip. And then I was I wasn't using Maps Me at the time yet. So yeah, that was with Google Maps. Also, one of the reasons why I stopped using Google Maps quite <laughs> shortly after. <laughs> this is always sending me like really strange ways, and. Um, yeah, it sent me up to a beach and it said, take the ferry. And when I arrived at the beach, I was really thinking, this is a bit odd. Like, I'm literally riding on a beach. And I thought, where is this ferry? And I still thought it would be like a proper, you know, ferry exactly. boat. Yeah. And uh, it was a huge uh, river that I had to cross. And I arrived there and there are these tiny little boats with tiny little very steep ramps 
and you know this is India and so everybody is staring at me and I was just like oh no <laughs> and I really yeah and I was just at the beginning of my trip right and so I was like I really don't feel like drowning my motorcycle in a river like a week into the trip um, because I had absolutely no trust that it was going to work out and as of, but what often is the case in India is that everybody will say yes 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 possible possible yeah 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 let go <laughs> and I was thinking no 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 not possible <laughs> so um, yeah there was a time that I thought okay I have to turn back and find a bridge or something because yeah it was really for me not worth the risk at the time yeah wow how far out of your way did you have to go to get to where you needed to go oh far i can't remember i think it was a few hours ride to find really? a wow. yeah yeah about how, about how many miles did or kilometers did you do per day you recall um i mean that hasn't changed so much roughly i usually do between 200 i like to do between 250 and 350 that's kilometers that's per day that's yeah that's, that's, that's like a nice distance which also gives some time to stop somewhere and you know do video do pictures and that sort of thing sure. there have been days that i've been doing more um but that's kind of yeah a nice distance for me yeah yeah so it's like 156 miles or so for those dumb americans to figure that out um, now, <laughs> now, as you got to each destination, is that, is that where you would upload all your videos and prepare your files for the for YouTube? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, sometimes I am in places with really bad internet and yeah. I can't do anything. So to be able to upload like on a really, I've been having this really, really strict schedule. Like it's been like every other day, like bam, 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 bam. There, there come the videos. Um, so to be able to do that, um, the videos are always between one and two weeks behind from where I am. So that gives me some space. So if I'm in a place where there's no internet, then it's still fine. I have some videos already scheduled to right. be released. And then as soon as I do have the internet, then I can uh, upload those as well. So that's kind of how I've been, how I've been doing that. Yeah, but your videos are relatively short, which I think is great. Because uh, most people have a real short attention span anyway, but uh, it, is is that partially because of the internet quality, or is was that the plan with your videos? Well, I mean, the videos have becoming longer and longer and longer. To be I honest, noticed. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> yeah. Yes, when I started, I started with like three minutes and then five minutes, and uh, they just be became longer. But that's also just because I got used to making them i mean when i started the youtube channel i'd never done a video in my life before and why the first videos are really bad <laughs> no they're not they're not that are you kidding me they're not that bad at all oh uh, if i look back at them uh, i find well, of them course. so cringy, but uh, we are our own worst critics you know that yeah though. yeah that's maybe that's true um but um well, yeah, your, it, first, your first video was four minutes and 53 seconds. Yeah. That's not bad. Now, now and, and by comparison, um, your last video was 16 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nowadays I, I try to make them between 15 and 20 minutes. That's kind of uh, what, I, what I try to do. 
but it all depends on what happened that day and how much footage I have and uh, that's if something interesting happened or not and that kind of thing and how much I'm like blah 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 talking in between. Well, I think I have to say I think people enjoy that the way yeah. you inter- the way you interact with your audience although you don't see them I, I think that's appreciated I I appreciate it that's for sure so I, should, <laughs> I think most people do. Because uh, it adds some personality to the video rather than just, you know, pictures of or video of you riding by a, a pile of rocks, you know. Right. So yeah. that's very good. People appreciate that. Yeah. So let, let's uh, talk about you know, you're at your you're on your break. Now, your yeah. plan is to go to Alaska. Right. Yeah. Now, have you thought at all about that? <laughs> about What? Going to Alaska, or yeah, you, well, your route and when you're gonna get there and wh- where you're gonna go. Oh right, yeah, yeah. No, I, I kind of, I thought about it. Um, I mean, my plan is, or what makes sense is that right, I should arrive in Alaska in summertime, right? Um, yes. Or kind of late summer uh, to also kind of enjoy Canada in not too cold conditions. Right. Um, and so I could try to be there uh, summer 2020, but that is already in a couple of months from now. And there is no way in the world that I would make that because it's you still, got time. still too far. Yeah, and, and I got time. So yeah. I figured, all right, I will be there in summer 2021. And really? that is wow. my plan. So, so you think it's going to take you that long to get through the remainder of South America, Central America, the States? Yeah. Canada, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you're gonna, you're really gonna like meander all the way around now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, if you look at like my route, I've now been in Argentina and Chile for three months already. Wow. Okay. So and that was just going down and back up again. So I, I do like to, you know, circle around. I don't like to take the shortest route. If I would follow the the Panamericano Highway all the way, right. yes. You Dude, in I don't know, in three months I would be up there, but right. there's no fun for me. So I like to explore the small roads and you know see stuff on the way. So uh, I'm gonna take my time. Yeah. Right. All right. So now you're. You, do you have any apprehension about going through Central America or through like the Darien Gap area? Well, no. you're obviously you're obviously not gonna go through the Darien Gap. You're gonna ship around it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean. The, uh, I get a lot of very concerned people warning me for Central America, um, but I've been there before. Okay. Uh, I traveled there before by myself. I've worked there in several of these countries, so I am not. Uh, I know very well what I, where I'm going and how to travel in these type of countries. So I am not concerned, to be honest. What about yeah. uh, Cuba? You gonna make your way there? Maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Cuba's nice. I mean, I I spent some time there when I was in the military. I was in. Oh, yeah. uh, I was in Guantanamo many years ago, and uh, it's beautiful. Really beautiful country. Yeah, yeah. Actually, for me, it will be great because that is a place that I've never been before. So, because I mean, all of the countries on this trip, except for I've never been to Canada, and I've never really been to the States. I've only been once to New York, so it doesn't really count. You but don't count New York, that, no. I've been, I've been, sorry? You doesn't, don't count New York. No, no, no. <laughs> no. 
So, uh, but other than that, I've already been to all of the countries that I'm passing through before. Um, so for me, it would actually, I would love to go to Cuba because I've never been there. So, uh, yeah, who knows? But that's the thing, like, um, I get always a lot of people asking me what my plans are, what my route is going to be through the States and all that. And I just, for me, there's no point in thinking about that now because right. it's so far away still. I have so many other places and countries I have to worry about first and think about first where I'm going to go that I'll just leave that for when I'm kind of there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, speaking of, speaking of this, of course, you're going to work your way through uh, Central America going through, uh, of course, then through Colombia and Mexico and all that. Uh, do, do you have any idea where you think you might enter the U.S. from? No, probably, I mean, probably Baja. Baja? Yeah, Baja, okay. Baja. So, yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, you might want to avoid entering through Tijuana. It might be a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But that's that's the same thing. Like, I will worry about, like, which areas in Mexico I'll pass through when I'm kind of there. But um, the only thing what I do know about the States is that also given how much time I'm kind of giving myself to reach Alaska, I do have time to do a proper tour through the U.S. Uh, and that is something that I would really love to do. Uh, I think if you want to see the United States, I think you have to have your own vehicle. Um, and yes, I think the motorcycle is a great vehicle for that. Uh, and I really would love to explore like all the national parks. And I think there's so much nice things to see. So I do really want to do like a really big trip through the States before going to Canada. I don't want to pass from Mexico straight north, straight to Canada. I think that would be really a shame. So yeah, it would be, is there, is there any specific places you would like to see in the States? Um, Grand Canyon? <laughs> of course, yes. The Grand Canyon's awesome. But yeah, you're right. The, the National Parks is definitely something you should really, really see. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm not so much of a city person in the sense that for me, I don't really enjoy riding a motorcycle in a city. Um, I just don't like the traffic and the lights and the stopping and, the, and all the... Yeah, no. Yeah, it's just not so much fun for me. So I prefer to ride in nature. So I would rather ride through every single national park than go on like a city trip or something like that. Right. You, you have much experience on highway riding? Um, I try to avoid it at all costs. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Well, there's a lot of highways in the States, so yeah. <laughs> it's something you yeah. might want to get yourself prepared for. Um, well, then, you, then I heard of these uh, backcountry uh, routes. Discovery, uh, right, exactly. Discovery. That's now that uh, we can talk about that after I can send you some links for that, but th that's a lot of off-road riding. Yeah, exactly. That's a lot, and you might like that. It's also very challenging in some cases, and you might not like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be maybe a bit more enduro style, or not. Yeah, and so, well, not necessarily in some cases, yes, but uh, that. But most of that is going to be. On the West Coast, uh, there is some on the East Coast, not much. Uh, right. Do you, Do you think you're going to make it to the East Coast of the states? I would love to. I'd yeah. Love to. Yeah. Just av Just avoid New York and all the cities. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I would love to ride into New York just because it's New York and it's cool. You don't want to do that. <laughs> you don't know. It'll spoil everything for you. <laughs> You'll hate but, it. 
Yeah, but it's like this, you know, I mean, what I remember from that one visit there, like for me, it feels like, you know, you're walking into a movie set, you know, everything is from the movies. So that's true. That I think would be really cool. Well, if you do go to New York, you'll have to pass through New Jersey, which is where I am. And then you'll have to come see me. Yes, of course. I'll come have a coffee. (laughs) Sure. That's it. We'll do that. Um, (laughs) Now, as far as it goes for for Alaska, are, are you planning or hoping to get up to uh, Prudhoe Bay? Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, wow, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, how about the Arctic Circle? That, that's what, let's, let's put it that way. Do you, you think you're going to make it into the Arctic Circle? I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, it's, you'll see when you get there, right? Yeah, like. I don't, what I don't like to do is put myself like these really, how to say, like sometimes there's travelers and they, they put like these sort of restrictions to themselves. Like for example, I I can only travel by road. I can never take a boat or anything like another mode of transport or something like that, which is in a way is kind of cool because in the end you can say, I drove so many miles without taking a boat or whatever, but it also restricts yourself. So if I would now say like, oh, I really have to reach Prudho Bay in Alaska or something, yeah. for me it's kind of like I'm putting this kind of pressure on me. Whereas maybe I don't want to go there as soon as I reach Alaska, or I don't know. I'll just see it when I get there. I think. Right, okay. <laughs> well, so what happens after Alaska? As an excellent question, I have no idea. No. 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 Ah. But I. I figured I kind of still have uh, uh, more than a year to think about that, mm-hmm. but um, it kind of depends. I guess if I reach there and I'm still loving this life and I still want to continue riding, then I'll just ship my bike to, I don't know, Russia or something and then uh, ride from there again or whatever place. Um, but it's also possible that when I reach there that, I've, that I think like, okay, well now I've been riding for more than two years, I am tired. Or I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. Or I, I have no idea. I really don't know. I don't see that happening. <laughs> I, I, why would you stop doing that? If you, do you love what you're doing? Yeah, I love what I'm doing. Yeah. So do what you love and love what you do, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think you need to make yeah. it over. You have to. You need to go through Canada from one end to the other, and get up to Newfoundland on the east coast, and then you need to take a boat and go to Iceland. I, yeah, it's also possible. See, yeah. and yeah. then, well, from there, who knows, right? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, so you don't know what you're going to do after Alaska, though. That's that's good, though. You're going to keep in touch and let me know, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll follow. <laughs> we'll be following your videos. Now, I like that you're breaking your videos down into seasons. Was that intentional? No, 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 not at all. Now that was kind of after I finished the first. Like I didn't name those videos from the start. So after I reached the Netherlands, after that first part, and I started with my new bike, um, I thought, okay, maybe I should call this season two, and that's when I did that. But um, yeah, it, it does, It does. I don't know, by doing that, it kind of does make me wonder, would there be a season three? <laughs> well, the <laughs> well, the first season, in your first season, you had 125 episodes. Yeah. So right now in your second season, you're only up to 50. You're up to 50. Yeah, so but it, it, 
it's going to be so many more episodes because the first trip was eight months and this trip is going to be like a year and a half. So it's going to be double the episodes, I think. So is now the time to split it, make this uh, season three after your break? (laughs) No, no, I think. I think up until Alaska will be season two. It's going to be a yeah. huge season, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, are your videos going to get longer? Uh, no, I don't think so. I hope not. Because Are you going to do, do a book? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I, I also have a blog. I mean, that's... Yeah. Uh, I also do a lot of writing. Uh, I'm also using this break period to work on loads of uh, blog posts and stuff like that so i do really like writing um but i i don't know i i wonder you know with all the videos and everything that i'm sharing already maybe i've said it all did you think uh maybe but then there's personal perspective on things that we don't get to see or hear yeah that's true you know, so this is where a book where you can, it's almost like a diary that you're going to share with everyone. Have you been keeping a daily journal? Uh, no, no, that I don't. I, I mean, I scribble down like a few things sometimes for yeah. things like, oh, I, I, I want to talk about that in a blog post or something like that. Right. But um, no, I, no, I don't do it anymore. But I think maybe if I would write a book, then maybe the book would not be about the motorcycle trip but about this whole adventure on youtube because for me that is even weirder or crazier than the trip that i'm doing i mean how so because i started this one year ago and uh started to make a video and you know my parents subscribed and then my brother and then my auntie you know and now, a year later, there's, I don't know, more than 300,000 people following me. And I'm being recognized on the streets almost every single day in, like, random small towns by local people or by travelers. And that is just such a strange, I don't know, I just, it's just for me. It's, 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 it's something you'd never expected, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I never saw that coming. I mean... You kind of think, I, I, I started it thinking, okay, I need to find a way to make money uh, yeah. on the road. So that's why I started it. But I had no idea how big it would become. And that, you know, it's it's really heartwarming. But I, I often get messages from people saying, uh, I'm going through a really rough time in my life. And your videos, they always cheer me up. And if I feel down, I watch one of your videos and I feel good again. And I'm just like, wow, I I never thought I would be able to have such an impact on people's lives or people that I don't even know. Uh, And I think it's incredible. And or people that see my videos and say, wow, I I thought this country or the people in this country were horrible or it was a bad country. And I saw your video and now I realize that, you know, they aren't bad people and we all want the same thing and we all want to be happy and they like that, yeah. But you're having an obviously having an impact on people's lives, and that really must that has an effect on you, I imagine. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean, um, it also puts a lot of pressure on me um, because sometimes uh, I feel like, oh, but every video has to be, you know, better than the one before. And what if people don't like this one, you know? And sometimes 
I have a really boring day <laughs> and nothing happens. <laughs> and I think, oh no, now everybody thinks it's boring or, you know, I, or maybe I put this pressure on myself too. But um, yeah, I think it's really incredible what the internet can do or, you know, how you can reach people from all over the world via YouTube and share this, this journey. I think it's, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Well, yeah, you know, and something you have to realize is that you have this uh, this wonderful on-screen personality that people are connecting with, and of course, you're smiling all the time, and it's beautiful, <laughs> you know. And you know, you've got this adventurous spirit, and people want to connect with that, and people want to be a part of that. Yeah. You, so you've impacted a lot of people's lives that way. Well, let me ask you this question: How many marriage proposals have you gotten? <laughs> Yeah, many. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow, great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as far as goes for your YouTube channel, is is that as far as goes monetarily, is that is that helping you? Is it bringing you what you need to get by on a daily basis? Um, not yet, unfortunately. Not yet. No. No. I was hoping that it would uh, cover everything, uh, but it doesn't. Um, So, I mean, I also make money with my blog. So I also have some advertisements uh, on the blog posts and uh, I'm selling some stickers. And so I try to do some uh, merchandise things every now and then. Um, and, but yeah, mostly also, uh, people support me sometimes. So people donate money for petrol, for example, uh, which is really amazing as well. So with all of that together, uh, it's, I, I can, I can cover the cost of, um, of the travels. Yeah. Now do you have, do you have a donate button on or something on your uh, website? Yeah. 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 On the website, uh, I have, uh, you can donate like via PayPal, um, money for, Petrol. I, I call it for petrol, but obviously it covers like all sorts of things that. I'll call it. Okay. Uh, yeah, all sort of travel costs. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. wonderful. I, I think yeah. you're having a lot of great success with your with what you're doing, and I really hope it keeps going for a long time. Because I I'm I watch your videos every day. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but in a way, that's also you know that 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 was a bit of a fear of mine that I thought. If everybody would stop watching now, I am not going to make it to Alaska, right? So I, I need, I also need the people to keep on watching my videos if I want to make it all the way to Alaska. Nobody's going to stop watching your videos. Don't worry about that. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. you. You keep making videos, and people are going to keep watching. I can I promise so. you that. Yeah. yeah. So how can people learn more about Itchy Boots? Um, Well, you can check out my blog. So that is on itchyboots.com. And, of course, the the channel on YouTube, Itchy Boots. And I'm also on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. But um, I guess the the blog and the videos, they're the the main thing. Okay. Uh, do you have any words of encouragement to men or women or any other riders who might want to do an adventure like this? I would say just go. And no, don't worry too much about the perfect gear or the perfect preparation or anything like that. And just start a trip or start small, you know, 
go for a weekend trip if you've never really done touring before for example you don't have to you know immediately ride through uh, 20 countries you can also just go for a weekend or a week trip or something like that but uh, other than that just don't worry too much and just enjoy the ride all right well, thank you uh Nordalee, i want to thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast don't go anywhere i want to talk to you afterwards but uh, yeah. I, I encourage everyone to get over to YouTube and start watching Itchy Boots YouTube videos and follow her as she travels around the world. Lordly, I want to thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> See you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me and Nordly here on the podcast. Itchy Boots. Join me here today in the V-Twin Cafe. You can learn more about her and follow her adventures on YouTube and, of course, on her website at itchyboots.com. So get over there, watch her videos, get all caught up, get sucked in, and follow her and watch her as she goes around the world. Motorcycle Man Podcast is supporting David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation. If you would like to help out and be part of something that actually makes a difference, Donate today to David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation. Go to davidsdreamandbelieve.org to donate. Links will also be in the show notes. The Gold Star Ride Foundation and the Gold Star Ride Foundation is helping families of fallen soldiers making a difference in the lives of those who are left behind. If you would like to be a part of a great cause and get some heartfelt miles in, go to goldstarride.org and learn how you can participate in the next Gold Star Ride. Don't forget to check out our fellow podcasters, YouTubers, and bloggers and vloggers out there whose links you will find on our links page, like Itchy Boots. All of these media outlets and many more out there will do great things to promote and encourage our sport and our passion. All right, so from Tim and Chris and Justin, I am Ted, your host here on the Motorcycle Man Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And remember, we say stupid crap so you don't have to. Enjoy your ride, kids. <laughs>